This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, The Sixth Sense, Season 1, Episodes 8 and 10. Well, there it is, out in the open. And that's what she's up against. She's not going to stand a chance at that hearing tomorrow. She might as well go in there and plead temporary insanity, whether it's true or not. Leastways, she'd come out of that with seven, maybe ten years. Do you think I'm lying? Well, somebody has to be. And in this case, it's two against one. You against Damaris and Gil Clark. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast crossing the picket line to pitch its psychic veterinarian dentist TV show. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? We're crossing the picket line? Yeah, yeah. I want to do a show about a psychic veterinarian dentist. I mean, already... It's probably more interesting than what this show is. I mean, the basically happens in this these episodes. Yeah, but instead of having a professor, I'd rather be a dentist. Yeah, it's. Fun. I like that better because he he doesn't seem like he does much actual like university work. I mean, he's usually like most university professors. He's kind of like on sabbatical. He's just like floating between <laughs> things. Right. Well, it does seem like he has a lot of downtime. Like, there's a, a one episode I can't remember which one it was where someone's like. Hey, you need to get here. It's like I'll be on a plane immediately. I'm like, did you? You didn't even check your like curriculum. What what classes do you have to teach this week? I guess he doesn't has he has none to teach. You have an army of TAs for this, Jordan. Jordan, have you never met a university professor before? <laughs> That's true. It's been a while. I forgot what university is like. I remember bumping into one, and I was talking to her, and she's like, "Oh, I don't even live in the same city as the university I teach at." <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it being that extreme, but maybe maybe my memory is bad. Tenure, you can do whatever you want after that. Mm. You think you think uh, Doctor Michael uh, Rhodes has tenure? Oh, I mean, he has a whole lab. He definitely does. Mm. It was a different time in the seventies. Yeah, it was a very different time. <laughs> well, Jordan. Before we get into this week's episodes, I did a little looky into some of the uh, creators of The Sixth Sense just to give us a sense of like mm-hmm. who's, be- who's behind this uh, psychic professor show that you love so much. <laughs> this masterpiece. And honestly, uh, it's credited the creators as the uh, writer and the producer of the TV movie Sweet Sweet Rachel. Um, and the producer was a gentleman named Stanley Schepner. Uh, he's primarily a TV producer. I was kind of going through his IMDb. Nothing like... You know, you're gonna you're gonna know. I think directly, but you'll recognize a few things. He uh, he produced a two-parter of Bruce Lee's Green Hornet series. Okay. And then he did a whole bunch of TV movies, things with like titles like Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker and Death Car on the Freeway. Both sound fun. Yeah. So you know, you kind of get a sense. He's just he's just turning out TV TV movies. That's kind of his thing. But he's. Because he produced, the, I think, because he produced the original um, TV pie, uh, TV movie, he he ends up with a crater credit here. And then there's the writer Anthony Lawrence, who um, wrote the original TV series and is credited here, or the TV movie and is credited here with the TV series. Uh, he, you might know, he did uh, three Elvis films, <laughs> Roundabout, Paradise Hawaiian Style, and Easy Come, Easy Go. You know, uh, it's funny. I was actually just having a conversation about Elvis and his movies. I don't think I've seen many of them. I know I've seen the one where he's like, uh, he's singing out a window to like a Spanish lady. I remember that one. And I remember the Hawaiian one. But I, I, he made so many movies. I don't, has anyone seen all these? 
Well, you should watch the Anthony Lawrence trilogy then. Maybe I should. But then he also wrote a 1979 Elvis biopic <laughs> starring Kurt Russell. Really? I guess once you worked with Elvis for like three movies, you probably have a reasonable sense of the man. So maybe it makes sense to bring him in after he's passed away to write the biopic with Kurt Russell. I just have no memory of Kurt Russell doing an Elvis biopic. Yeah, I saw photos. Looks good. <laughs> okay. And in the same theme, Jordan, he also wrote a 1988 biopic of Liberace. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds good. Is is uh, it? It was not the. It's not the HBO Beyond the Candelabra. Beyond the Candelabra. Good movie. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I never saw nice it. Nice time. It was it was Michael Douglas and Matt Damon, right? That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he also created a TV series, um, one that's actually on our list that we have never gotten to yet, but uh, a series called The Phoenix uh, about an ancient alien on Earth in modern times. So something to look forward to. We might encounter Anthony uh, Lawrence there again. We did watch Codename Phoenix. It's not that, right? It's not that. Different. Different than that. <laughs> different Phoenix. And just for fun, Jordan, he wrote one episode of the Planet of the Apes series. Now, I, I, we, we both sort of enjoyed uh, most of Planet of the Apes. Do, do you remember what, did you find out which episode it was? I don't know if I'd remember. I do know which episode it was. It was the Deception. Do you recall one where they're, because they're on the run. They're basically fugitives, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the one where they spend uh, the night at a blind ape's house? At a blind ape's house? Oh, and the, and he, and the ape doesn't know that they're not apes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping it was the episode where they get stuck in the bowling alley. Remember that? The bowling alley. Remember, remember, uh, uh, the general, the evil general ape gets stuck down. He has to teamwork to try to get out of this like underground subway bowling alley thing. It's not a subway. It's what bowling alley. <laughs> I think it was just a subway, and then I realized halfway through the sentence that it was a subway, and I switched it to bowling alley subway thing, even though it's clearly a subway. It was just me covering my my own memory. Oh, I see. Good cover. Good cover. <laughs> <laughs> seamless and just some fun trivia for you jordan one of these episodes of the sixth sense uh from uh, season one episode four so we're already passed we're not going to watch it episode called the house that cried murder was directed by richard donner of superman fame wow richard donner directed one of these huh yeah 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 the man who made goonies lethal weapon he was there he was directing one of these six cents early in his career can i add something to this uh if if you if you allow uh this first episode we're going to talk about episode eight uh which which burning bright there's a director named john badham uh who directed the episode and i wasn't familiar with him uh and i looked up and this guy directed a bunch of movies but here's a few of the ones he directed war games saturday night fever short circuit and stakeout guy directed all those movies and he did that this episode wow big run there with those movies I know. Pretty good. Well, on that note, let's get into it, I guess. Here's the IMDb (laughs) summary for Season 1, Episode 8, Witch Witch Burning Bright. Judith Eaton believes her daughter Damaris is a witch like previous Eatons. (laughs) Sure. Now, I have to ask you before we start. Who are you more excited for um, as a guest star? Mike Farrell or Clarice Leachman? Who are you more excited about? (laughs) Well, I know you were more excited for the guy from M.A.S.H., uh, yeah. Cloris Leachman was the one I know best. So I was like, hey, Cloris Leachman, all right. Well, this, and this is, I mean, it's fun to see both these faces. And apparently this was the real selling point of this show, a la uh, Super Train having guest stars. But this is uh, Mike Farrell before MASH. This is a couple years before MASH. So he was just 
outdoing uh what's that the tv movie we watched way back when at the beginning of this uh podcast quasar what was it called quester tapes quester quester tapes yeah yeah same time period yeah he's just a working actor right now no one's like what a cameo yeah exactly that's the thing and, and i realized because i was watching this episode and i was like he has such a like non-part and then i was like of course he does he's not he's not bj honeycutt yet you haven't been gathering around to watch mash yet you're like mash 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 well, I have. I have been watching MASH, but he hasn't shown up for a few. He shows up season three. It's only season one of MASH. Oh, really? I didn't realize he wasn't in the whole thing. No, no. He shows up season three. Big cast change. Him and Colonel Potter. <laughs> wow. I mean, I always think of him as being a core member of the MASH team. Trust me. He always is in our hearts. <laughs> Save it for your MASH cast. <laughs> Anyways, we start this episode. Now, I'm going to say a couple things, and I don't know if you realize this, but Dr. Michael's by himself in his office. He's doing some stuff. We're going to get into it. Did you know this is the end of his assistant? His assistant isn't in the show anymore. I noticed she wasn't there, but I didn't realize she had been removed from the show at this point. She's gone. She's only in the first six episodes, which we've seen. So I kind of think it's a bummer. I think there's if there's a fun interplay they can have between the two. Now, obviously, she wasn't utilized very well in the first couple episodes, but I think there was potential for that, you know. God forbid they ever actually have her go out on an adventure with him. But there was something to be said about like, you know, researching and learning stuff and going back and forth. I think they could have had some fun there, but she's gone. But in the in place, Dr. Michael does everything now. And what he does <laughs> to research cases is he gets a bunch of letters in the mail and he, he spreads them out in front of him. And then he just hovers his hands over and like psychically, psychically guesses, which is the most interesting. And then he picks one. Now I'm going to say this. He picked... Of the episodes, I was like, you could have picked a more interesting letter. I didn't realize that's what he was doing. I thought he was just like psychically reading the letters. I didn't think, I didn't realize they were case-based. <laughs> so maybe maybe you're right. I My assumption was they were case-based, but maybe you're right. He went through them. He was like, Bill, Bill, final notice. Ah, there's a case. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought was happening. Yeah. But you're right. <laughs> One of the letters does give him a psychic vision of uh, some lady dressed in like old-timey gear. And she like comes at him with a knife. And it, this is my favorite part, too. Like, he has this vision as hovering his hand over the letter. And then his phone rings and he picks it up. And he's just like, hello? And it's like, hey, uh, Dr. Rhodes, it's your Uncle Ray here. Uh, did you get my letter? Well, don't bother reading it. Just get on a plane and come visit me. I was just like, well, why did you write the letter? Just place the phone call. That was weird, right? And th- there's an, another thing. Uh, we, we were discussing this. Uh, not you and I, but us, us here at home. We were discussing this TV show before we started recording. There's a weird tendency in this show in this last couple episodes, which is to have Michael, Dr. Michael, excuse me. He has his PhD. I call him Dr. Uh, Rhodes, be, his proper name. Dr. Rhodes. I call him Dr. Michael. Dr. Michael is has to be like familial, have this connection, this family connection to, to the cases. And I don't know why. What do you think it adds? Like, it doesn't seem to, like, if there was this extra tension or there was this connection that he felt something extra for these people because they were his family, that worked some way in the plot. But it's just like, hey, he's got a family. They keep being, like, possessed by stuff. I, I didn't understand what the point was because it happens in both these episodes. Does it? Yeah, he's related. Well, there's a connection. He has a connection to Ray. Uh, it's his uncle. So he goes. And then the next episode, he's like his old friend's wife or whatever. So he has to go. It's like, why can't they just be random people? Why do they have to be connected to him in some way? I guess so. I mean, the first two were random people. <laughs> I guess. I know. That's what I said. The last couple episodes. It seems like this weird thing that they, I don't know. 
I don't know. It just it it just seemed weird to me. You just need a way into the episode, so he just he happens to know these people. Like, <laughs> anyway, it's Uncle Ray. It's his old, good old Uncle Ray who's who called about the letter he just sent. Yes, yes, and he gets on that plane and he's headed out because Uncle Ray has a problem. There's a ghost with an old timey dress who's trying to kill him with a knife. Oh, and let me just mention this: we talked about it in the first podcast that this was cut down to thirty minutes. Um, and obviously like an incomprehensible 30 minutes for a syndication, but man, does this show take its time? Like when we're saying like he goes over to see, Do- uh, Dr. Uh, Uncle Ray, he gets in the plane, we see the plane take off. Then we see the taxi go. And I was like, guys, just have him arrive at the door. We don't need all this shoe leather. Come on, <laughs> let's get to it. Let's get to it. Did it really show the whole, I don't even remember. I don't even remember. It did. It literally had him a plane and then there's stock footage of a plane getting off and then the stock footage of a taxi driving down. I'm like, why? Why are we seeing this? Who cares? I'm so invested in his journey to go visit Uncle Ray. Who cares? Just get him there. <laughs> well, he does arrive in Massachusetts, which I'm never going to pronounce correctly, to find his uncle bedridden and being taken care of by the neighbors. <laughs> Um, the neighbors yeah. are, of course, of is Judith Eaton, uh, played by Caloris Leachman, and her yeah. daughter Damaris. And of course, the um, the town doctor is also there to look after him. And the town doctor, Doctor Gil Clark, also happens to be Damaris's ex. So it's all pretty closely related. And I believe this is your favorite, mm-hmm. uh, this favorite actor of yours, Mike Farrell. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird because I think they mentioned later on, or maybe it is even here, who all these people are, but they're all really like you said they're all really closely connected it's like it's my uncle and then there's this neighbor who like maybe has a relationship with him and then the, her daughter and this other doctor and i'm like okay this seems like he's really walked into an incestuous bed of something here <laughs> well i mean that is a little bit of i guess the plot of the episode is uh uncle ray has recently moved back to massachusetts for uh the reason being he retired and um, he's excited because their family apparently has a plot of land here that they haven't been to in about two to three hundred years. And he's hoping to come back and, you know, redevelopment, redevelop the uh, the property in his retirement. Um, but since mm-hmm. he's been here, his house has been deteriorating as he's been haunted by a ghost. Yeah, this pilgrim ghost. Do we say they're dressed like a pilgrim? I guess that's I said old timey, but pilgrim is maybe yeah. more evocative. <laughs> yeah. And, and and you get a lot of like... Um, there's there's a scene that's going to come up very soon so it's like you meet all the characters but dr michael i don't know what i'm supposed to feel about him because he's a little bit one note one dimensional and maybe maybe you get more of him than i do but like at one point he walks in damaris her name is right and she's like your pretty young you know young blonde thing and she's like going through his case and i and, and like like he he shows up and she's like and she's like, oh, I'm going through your stuff. I'm playing with your tape recorder. Can I help you, like, help you unpack and stuff? And he's like, no. And they kind of have, like, a little bit of a meet cute. But I was like, am I supposed to get that they have, like, they have a connection here? No, I think in the 70s it wasn't unusual for someone to unpack your suitcase for you because you were a man. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize. That's what I got from that. They're just like, they're like, well, he's arrived. He's a guest. you got to unpack his suitcase for him. I was like, okay, I guess so. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it it was just weird. But anyway, she wants to play with this tape recorder. They, like, meet each other. Um, and then we also, as you mentioned, this Dr. Gil Clark, he sort of shows up and he's like, you need to take aspirin. And then Uncle Ray's like, I won't take aspirin. I've seen ghosts. He's like, you haven't seen ghosts. You need, you have a migraine or something like that. And they're very angry about it, <laughs> that he won't take his pills. 
But yeah, that's sort of the setup. You meet these characters, you meet the place they are, and kind of learn the problem. Very quickly, though, uh, Rhodes sees Damaris kind of going into the woods behind Uncle Ray's house, and uh, he follows her out there, and she leads him to his family's land. Um, and once they're kind of on this land that the family owns, she starts acting a little bit weird. She goes in to try to give him a kiss, and then uh, she collapses, and as she's laying there, uh, Dr. Rhodes sees the ghost of the pilgrim woman leap out of her body at him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 not as much of a meat cut as one would hope. I mean, and they also laid out pretty clearly. It's like there's a ghost in this girl's body. It, but don't you think like that's that's maybe one of the issues with this show is that everything's so transparent right from the beginning. Like I don't know if that's just indicative of of a time period of TV, but like it feels like it takes a long time to get to the end result, which you kind of know from the beginning of this episode. Like, am I wrong yeah, about I guess that? So, I mean, I do feel I, I, I just write it off as like the time period. So I don't really worry about it as much. But uh, you're not wrong. I mean, we kind of you're not you're not left with a lot of mystery on on the show for sure. You kind of know who's doing what and why pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I guess what it is, is I think there's an interesting concept of in it, this paranormal investigator for, you know, well, I know he's a professor, but for all intents and purposes, he's a paranormal investigator. But there isn't as much, there is a little bit, but there isn't as much um, as I would like of him sort of seeing a vision and then piecing something together, which leads him to another vision, which he pieces together, which leads him to something else. It's a lot of like, he sees something, then he's like, that's interesting. And then he sees something else. He's like, that's interesting. And then like, it it reveals a little bit more every time. And it's like, so he could have just been sitting in a chair waiting for this vision to get a little bit longer. I just, I guess there isn't as much investigative like he's not as active protagonist as I think would make the show a little bit more interesting. Like it's like he's just waiting for things to come to him all the time. Is yeah, is he, that a fair? Is that a fair uh, crit- critique? Yeah, he went to the Swamp Thing School of Investigations. You're absolutely right. It's it's the exact same thing. Where it's just like, be active. Why is why is he have to be so passive all the time? He's he took a plane, which we saw, and a taxi, which we saw. Why is he just waiting for stuff? Like go investigate. Open a book. Well, he very quickly sees this ghost fly out, and that ghost flies all the way back to Uncle Ray's house where uh, he's in the bathroom taking his pills when the ghost (laughs) rushes in and pushes him through a glass shower door, killing him. I know. How did that kill him? I assume all the the, uh, broken glass went through his body, uh, impaling him terribly. And I feel like Dr. Michael isn't upset enough. Don't you? He's just like, huh, uncle's dead. Not a close uncle. I still it's a human being <laughs> I don't know Uncle Ray he was old what are you gonna do I don't know I just think I'm like Dr. Michael shed, you shed want, a tear you wanted a scene where he was rending his clothes and weeping open yes yes he's just pulling his sh- he's like why it should have been me <laughs> <laughs> anyway we cut to the next day and Damaris has confessed to the murder of Uncle Ray and apparently Dr. Gills was there when uh, Uncle Ray was dying and held him in his arms. And Uncle Uncle Ray identified Damaris as his killer. Um, so it's an open and shut case. Damaris is going to jail for the murder of Uncle Ray. But uh, Dr. Rhodes is just like, wait, but I, I saw a ghost fly out of her. I know that she's being psychically framed for this murder. I must I must stop this injustice. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I was with her, so she clearly didn't do it. But I, but again, and maybe this isn't fair, but don't you think it would have been more interesting if the viewer was left unsure as to whether she did it or not? But we as a viewer know she didn't because we saw the scene of her with Michael in the field talking 
while Uncle Ray was being killed. So we know she didn't do it. So it's like, you're just waiting to get to that end result, which I already know five minutes into it. Yeah, I think we've had this conversation before. Um, I read a book. Um, I'm going to forget the title of it at some point. Like, I'm sure there are exceptions to this. Um, but it talked about kind of how TV evolved and um, like kind of early cop shows. You had to show the audience what the crime was and who did it at the start for them to follow the mm. investigation afterward. Like that was just, it, it was just necessary. It was just like a it necessary was. way to write it so that it made sense to the audience. And then as the audience got used to that formula, it was easier to like start dropping away like the who did it or like, and like leave it a mystery because they understood the context. Okay, that's fair. And when I watch these kind of shows, I that's how I always feel about them. I just feel like contextually... It just wasn't it wasn't part of the vocabulary yet of TV, whether that's true. And I'm sure someone listening will be like, well, I can point out like a couple some shows that like did it differently. But I my understanding was like in this era, they kind of laid everything out at the front. And then you just got to watch the fun of the investigator solving it, even though you knew the answer already. OK, OK. I mean, that's a that's a very valid explanation as to this. But I, I find it as a modern viewer a little bit frustrating because what it feels like is here's everything you need to know aren't you excited to go on this journey? And I'm like, not really, because I already know what the end is. It's like, here's the last page of a book. Anyways, let's read the next 300 pages. I'm like, eh, no thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it is a little bit of a sign of the times. It's not to say that The Sixth Sense is like the best written show. And they, like, I think some episodes have done it better than other episodes, but uh, I do think that is the case where it's just a, it's a little bit of that, like, they, they let you know up front and then you're just kind of watching the story unfold. And like, for better or worse, that was a little bit of the trend of the era. Right, right. But it's, it's, he at least goes to talk to old Cloris Leachman, who, like, I like how adamant she is that her daughter's a witch. She's just like, yeah, she's a witch. So, like, we need to take care of this. Yeah. I mean, she knows uh, every generation of women in her family has been a witch. It's just part of it's just a problem the family has. They have a, they have a thing they do where they're going to bleed the witch out of her. Like, they're like, it's fine. It's, it's normal. She's a witch. Like, I, we knew it was going to, I mean, even, even um, Damaris herself just like, yeah, I mean, since your uncle got here, I've been having visions of killing him. So I knew I was eventually going to kill him. So like, what are you going to do? I'm a witch. Well, I like that they also have like a family knife. It's not only that like this happens constantly. Like it's got to the point where they actually have like a family weapon that they use generationally to, to, to sort things out. Yeah, no, it's 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 a ritual now. This, is, this has been going on for two to three hundred years. Yeah. But uh, Rhodes, as you said, he does his his typical classic thing is he just goes back to his family's land and kind of wanders around hoping for a psychic vision that will give him some sort of like <laughs> direction. And of course, he eventually finds one in which he sees uh, some some relatives of his from 300 years ago burning a woman to death as a witch. And uh, she's, of course, an innocent woman who's um, who's as she's dying, she's vowing revenge and I guess basically what we're looking at here is uh, got a good old-fashioned grudge going on. He's, she's left a yeah. curse through the generations against his family. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there's a couple things I like. One is that uh, Dr. Michael's a real sharp dresser. So even if he's, like, wandering through the woods, he's still wearing, like, a full suit. He's just like, he's, I'm sharp. There's no way around it, you know? Um, but it is funny um watching a tv show and i and i don't know if there's a better way around it and the show does a fine job but like there's a lot of shots of him having to like receive like psychic information or images or whatever it might be and so it's a lot of like the actor just like looking and pondering and it's not terribly evocative or cinematic of anything it's just like 
I don't know. It's a weird thing. And they lean into it quite a bit. And I, I think it's the, the new idea of this paranormal investigator. And like, isn't this fascinating? But it is interesting to see like a lot of like him being like, hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm like, okay, we get it. He's getting an image. It's that thing. It's the it's a battle of the mind. It's just like, well, there's not much to see there unless you have lasers shooting out of that head. So it can it can be a bit of a a non a non image. Yeah. So I mean, I, it's not even so much a criticism. It's just a funny thing to see because I don't know what you would what you would do otherwise. Like you're saying, other than having lasers or some sort of special effect. But otherwise, it's just like a close up of him, like looking like concerned. Yeah, yeah. But at least now Rhodes has figured out. Okay, I see what's happening here. There's a grudge. I got it. So he goes to visit Damaris's lawyer, who's just like, well, it's an open shut case. She's doomed. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> but he's just like, listen, lawyer, let me put Damaris on the stand and hypnotize her in front of the judge and I'll get her off. And the lawyer's like, well, let's give it a try. And then they can put her up there. And the judge is like, it's unorthodox, but I'll allow it. I love it. It's like, it, just like you're saying, it's the classic sense of like, I guess I'll allow it. I've never seen anything crazy like this, but you know what? <laughs> this time, let's let it happen. But yeah, it's, 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 I should say it's a preliminary hearing though. It's to see if they should go to court, which I did like. Fair enough. I do like that the judge, the lawyer's just like, I found a precedent for this. I'm like, did you find a precedent for this? I doubt it, but okie dokie. <laughs> yeah. You know what? This is actually probably, I think, at least for me, my favorite part of the episode was the court. And I kind of wish maybe more of the episode was like this. I like the idea of, him trying to convince the court not only of this person's innocence but having to do it by convincing them that of how outlandish this is of this this psychic thought that's connecting through her and even of all this this esp and everything as as a whole having to convince an audience uh, a jury i think is really interesting and i know that's not what this episode is but i think there could have been something there of like a whole episode of learning maybe more about more Michael and learning more about his trade and about this world that he lives in and, and the convincing arguments he can make. And there's a little bit of hint of it. This last act. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I do think uh, watching you're like, Oh, a, a courtroom episode. This would be great where he has to yeah. not only prove innocence, but also prove ESP is like, would be a fun episode. And you get a little taste of mm-hmm. it, but you're right. It's, it's, a, it's just a section of this episode, but he does put Damaris on the stand he hypnotizes her. He sends her back 300 years so that Damaris also witnesses the origin of the grudge where this woman was burnt alive. And um, when she comes out of it, she's just like in shock. She like kind of understands why why this is all happening to her now. I love though in the in in the classic this show though, it's like he's got to put her back to like, I think it's 1692. But instead of just being like, you're back at 1692, he's like, you're back 10 years. Now you're back 20 years. Now you're back 50 years. Now back 75 years. I'm like, all right, Dr. Michael, let's get to it. It just, <laughs> the show is so plotting. It just takes forever to get to anything. But yes, the whole part is that he like shows her this image and not only convinces her, but uh, she becomes such a compelling witness that sort of the court is stunned that she's like, wait a minute, I didn't kill the person. Everyone's like, that's all we need to hear. <laughs> it is very funny. She basically just recants. They watch her sit there blankly for a second and then she recants her confession and then when the prosecutor objects he's just like i object to whatever's happening on the stand right now dr gill stands up in the courtroom and says i also recant my testimony that uncle ray said damaris killed her and the judge is just like well i'm dismissing the case for lack of evidence uh case closed i was just like wild stuff happening in this courtroom that prosecutor must be furious 
<laughs> yeah and but but what i like is though they get through that which again i think could have been maybe an interesting episode in itself but it's going to get to the craziest part of the episode which is all this we now know what has basically happened it wasn't her she was sort of a conduit for this image of this person who wants revenge and blah 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 but then you're like oh i guess i guess that's the episode we've solved we've solved the case you're like nope uh the uh, the mother still wants to uh knife burn it out of her yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, the witch is still technically inside of her. So, uh, Chloris Leachman takes Damaris off to, uh, he's, she's like, I'm going to go f- perform that old family tradition of ritually bleeding my daughter to get the witch out. And, um, it's great. We see her, like, in the woods tied to a pentagram as she's, like, doing these weird, like, witchy stuff. That's what I was going to say. If your family tradition involves a pentagram, it's probably not a good family tradition. <laughs> what are you going to do? How are you also going to get that witch out? I don't know. It seems it seems not good. And of course, Rhodes is there. He's celebrating with the lawyer their success. And he looks around. And he's like, "Hey, what happened to uh, our clients?" And uh, the, law, the lawyer's like, "I don't know. They left. I'm not paying attention. Let's have a cigar." Yeah, but don't worry. Michael's going to get in his car and he's going to race over. And we're going to watch that for about forty five minutes. I mean, the ghost does attack his car with a knife, so it's pretty good. Well, that's. Let me ask you. So this the ceremony. Is uh, old Chloris has um, uh, Damaris? She's tied down. She's in the middle of the pentagram. What is in the jar? It's spiders. Is that what's in the jar? Spiders. Some of her hair. It's just like a real. It's a real witch's mix of stuff. Right. So it is. I I didn't quite understand what the ritual is, and I think maybe they didn't either because you have her tied down. Then she has the knife. What did the jar have to do with thing? Because I know it's gonna like break later. But like, what did was that holding the essence of the of the witch? I think what it was, and I'm obviously reading into this, is like the the jar like heats up as the witch gets like closer to the surface of Dolor or uh, Damaris. So when it bursts, mm-hmm. I think that's the that's like supposed to give her the signal that's the best time to bleed her daughter to get the witch out. That was that's what I think is happening. Okay, and I should say, but also you mentioned that yes, as Michael's racing towards just stop this ceremony, the ghost attacks his car, but the ghost made a real. Um, uh, error in its judgment because where it, it ran his car off the road is right by where the ceremony was happening. Yeah, I do mean, it like way before. I think that w- that witch ghost just has a proximity problem, so it <laughs> should have just like you know it should have let him go by. Maybe he would have missed it. Um, but yeah, exactly. Rolls his car off the road. He is loosely trapped under the passengers or the the driver's side door it's really funny. Like you see, it's supposed to have him pinned under the like wreck of the car, but it's lo- like. In practicality, you're like, well, you could probably wiggle out of that if you try a little harder there, uh, Dr. Rhodes, but that's okay. We need some tension. Yeah. Well, he's going to save the day by, I think, showing up. Well, that's just it. He's there. He's he's basically going to – he wants to stop the ritual from happening. We don't quite know why yet, but it'll become clear in a second. But he's trapped under the car. It's on fire. Gas is leaking out of it. He's like, there's no time. I have to stop the ritual. So he does what I think my favorite thing ever is. He psychically reaches out to Damaris, <laughs> yes. who's tied down. And then, while psychically reaching out to her, he psychically hypnotizes her. <laughs> so, was that what he was doing? I wasn't sure. It was just a lot of shots of him like looking like constipated. And I was like, what is he doing? He's talking to her? No, because he repeats what he did in the courtroom. But now he's doing it psychically, where he's just like, you're sleepy. You're very, very sleepy. And what he was really doing, which I think is not a terrible idea. It's an interesting idea. Is he is... Uh, getting rid of this curse that's affected her family, this grudge that keeps, like, making every subsequent woman in the family have this bleed happen, is he basically gets her to forget the grudge from 300 years ago. He basically wipes the grudge out, 
hence removing the need to do a ritual every time the family has a new has a new daughter in the family essentially mm, right so yeah so she sort of wakes up and she's like i'm i'm fine everything's good and uh and you're like great michael saved the day he's and she's like how do you do that he's like oh i sent you psychic information she's like interesting well, you didn't talk about the part where he pulls his leg up from under the car and it runs away as it explodes. He like leaps in the air as it explodes behind him. That's right. It does do that. You're right. I sorry. I took. A, I I should have mentioned the action sequence. He's a real action hero. <laughs> He's not. But yes, he he solves the he solves the grudge. He saves the family from it, and uh, it all ends with uh, Damaris giving Doctor Rhodes a lift to the airport to show uh, what a good job he did. Yeah, and that's the episode. You're like, huh, huh. I guess he still owns that land there, huh? Yeah, I, I, they never really mention it. I guess it's not really that important. But now that Uncle Ray's dead, who does it go to? I mean, I guess he's next in line. So when he retires, he'll come develop it. No, no, he said he wasn't a very close, uh, close nephew. So maybe it went to someone else. It went to a better nephew. It went to a better nephew. Maybe. I mean, we don't yeah. know the large, sprawling Rhodes family. I mean, this was his <laughs> mother's side too. So who knows how many people are on that side. Well, but you are going to meet that apparently uh, Dr. Michael's got lots of friends because you're going to meet some friends of his in this next episode, which, by the way, I've mentioned, um, I love the titles of these episodes. Yeah, like, yeah. great. And and this one sounds like a great Pink Floyd album. Well, here's the IMDb summary for season one, episode 10, Echo of a Distant Scream. Look, Dr. Rhodes, my mother fooled around with those things. Mind reading, fortune telling, foreseeing the future, messing around with things folks are not supposed to. Well, one day she... Far saw something, all right, her own death. Then she went out and got herself killed in an accident. It's best to leave those things alone, not stir them up. I don't want anything to happen to that girl. She's like my own kin. I understand. If she's got a problem, I'm going to help her solve it. Paula Norris, while riding late at night, sees a ghostly white horse. Neighbor Tuttle calls in Dr. Rhodes to investigate, and ranch hand Billy watches warily. The visions continue, including a ring of fire, and seem to be tied to a missing girl. And that was courtesy of R. Hanlon 58. Well, uh, I guess that was Robert Hanlon who was uh, doing that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the whole episode. I do like the part where it says, like, Billy just, like, stands off and stares. Because that, that's poor, what the poor actor does for most of this episode. It's just, like, leers at things. He's very wary about things. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But we start, we started the episode, a man and woman are riding horses. By the way, this episode is so dark. It's crazy. It's crazy how much takes place at night. And you can't see anything. But um, they're at night. They go up to this ridge. And let me tell you, I hate this ridge so much because they go up to the ridge about 45 times in this episode and just keep going back. And like, why don't we go back to the ridge? Maybe we'll get more visions. I'm like, ugh, anything else, other than go to the ridge. But this man and the woman... Paula and is this is this Glenn? Is that who's with her? Yes, yes. It's it's Paula, the uh, woman. She's recently been widowed, and she's yeah. moved back to her family ranch. And this is uh, the man with her is Glenn Tuttle, her neighbor, who's also she's been right. hooking up with. Yeah, because he's. She says later he's real handsome. It's questionable, but anyways, they're riding. They stop because she feels like someone's calling to her, but like not quite. Like she's feeling an energy of that. She goes to like kind of investigate a little bit and she sees sort of like a spirit horse like the image of a horse that essentially attacks her like it like rises up on its hooves and sort of like goes to kick her and it knocks her off her horse and that's like that's the cold open like what just happened it's a horse crazy ghost horse ghost horse <laughs> not as good title because echo of a distant scream is an excellent title 
But yeah, so the next day, she calls up her dead husband's friend, Dr. Rhodes, to come help. And uh, Rhodes, Rhodes comes out to the ranch. He's always happy to help with some ESP problems. He, he goes through the usual motions. Like, there's a great scene where he wanders through a barn, aimlessly grabbing objects, hoping one of them gives him a vision. And it's very funny. He's just like, touch this, nope. Touch this, nope. I love Touch it. this, nope. It's great you mention that because there is, it's, it's in a few minutes in the episode, it's it's hilarious the amount of time they spend on it and he doesn't get anything of it he walks and he slowly he touches the rope he's like a close up of his face like hmm nothing mm, okay touch the saddle close up of his face hmm nothing wow what about what about over here what about these boots hmm nothing i'm like guys why are you putting this in tv but like i understand why they're doing it because they're sort of like you it doesn't work all the time you can't connect all the time you can't get the information you want all the time but to watch it as a tv show it's very funny to see a scene added in where literally nothing happens as a character showing up and being like anyways nothing happened in that scene yeah i mean it is i think one of the issues obviously is that the procedural element of his investigations are that he's just waiting for something to come to him so it is very yes. funny to watch it in process i'm just like mm, what about this nope Oh, what about this? Nope. That's the thing. And it's and I, I know it's like partially an unfair criticism because it is what the show is. But what I would love, and maybe again it's unfair, is that because these inf- this information is coming to him so infrequently or so unreliably, it'd be great if he extrapolates from it every time. Like he touches something, he gets a little bit, then he figures out what that means, which leads him to something else, which leads him. Even if it was like a series of bungles, like it leads him to the top of a hill, which he accidentally then falls down coincidentally and then ends up into a place where he sees another bit of information. That at least would give me some sort of sense of momentum, which I feel like this show is lacking. Because as you said, it's a lot of him like waiting for information. Again, that's what the show is. It just, a lot of times, like if I was a, if I was like a studio, I'd be like, so like, that's what he does? He just waits for stuff? No, I'm not buying that show. <laughs> well, you kind of described what mostly happens in this episode is he just stumbles into things. But this is this is what's happening here. Is we, we see him come. He gets to meet all a host of possible suspects. There's Glenn, the new boyfriend who lives next door. There's Hanson, the old guy who's run Paula's ranch for a family for years. Mm-hmm. There's Billy, the suspicious new farmhand. And, you know, they're all, of course, all of them are like, we don't believe in psychic phenomena. They're all very standoffish because they're like, they're, they're, they're hard country boys who don't believe in this uh, willy silly willy nonsense i think this is the most standoffish we've had of anyone other outside of maybe shatner um because he was thinking his wife was cheating on him but this is like every character is is against dr michael which is an interesting idea that i don't know if it's fully played out to the uh dramatic element it could be of him of him having to try to do an investigation with these um these tensions there it's sort of like yeah they don't want him there like does it matter not really yeah it's just it's, they're a little unfriendly yeah it's like okay <laughs> to no effect but Rhodes, of course eventually finds a horseshoe that gives him a vision and what he sees is there's a, a girl in trouble and an angry white horse and a ring of fire and he he basically is getting a concept that there's there's some sort of tragedy had happened here and then he of course then ends up getting in a fist fight with the next door neighbor though it I'm not sure. I know that Glenn, the next door neighbor, was going to try to hit uh, Dr. Rhodes, but it really looks like Dr. Rhodes sucker punches him. I agree. What it is is the, the Glenn, the neighbor, shows up and basically is like, I want you to leave. You're making her, uh, what's her name? N- Nora, whatever Paul, her name is. Paula. Paula. Making Paula upset. No one really wants you here. You're not really doing much. Can you leave? And it looks like he goes to sort of like, 
grab him to maybe usher him out of the room sort of like not that he should do this but yes <laughs> dr michael who we've never seen do anything before just clobbers the guy and just knocks him out and then it's also shot in the weirdest way where he knocks him out and they see he sees visions of like i guess like the guy's face is scarred and stuff and you're like oh i guess he's the bad guy yeah, huh. I do kind of like this. Is he when when Rhodes punches him, he punches him in the face, and there's a scar in his face, and that scar has a psychic vision attached to it. So we get a little vision, and it is funny. Like it's true, we the audience are just like, well, this seems pretty suspicious. But Rhodes himself is just like, well, I don't, I don't know. Who knows what that means? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I've seen a lot of visions. I've I've learned not to question them too much. Yeah, because the, the scar basically brings the, the missing girl and the horse vision to him. And, you know, Rhodes goes around. He's asking all the all the locals uh, at this farm, this ranch, if they know anything about a missing girl. And everyone's just like, nope, never never heard of a missing girl. So Rhodes goes up to that ridge and find, finds an old skull, uh, horse skull up there. And, of course, that, that summons the ghost horse. That's the ghost horse's skull, which the ghost horse leads him down to a suspiciously cemented-in tree. Which, you know, you would think is just like, well, this is very weird. This tree in the middle of nowhere has cement in it. But um, Paulo's just like, I'm too sad now to continue investigating. So Rose is like, okay, let's just go home. Yeah, it, it was weird because even Dr. Michael isn't like, he's like, um, let's take a look at this thing. Like, let's chip away at it. Let's, like, this seems sketchy. He's just like, yeah, I guess we should leave because we need to come back to the same area 45 times. So we'll, we'll deal with this later. And uh, back at the ranch, someone tries to push a bale of hay onto Rhodes, so we know he's getting close. And um, I think at some point, like that night, he's he he's got the horse head. No one's willing to tell him anything, but he catches old Billy the farmhand sneaking into the house trying to get that horse skull away. But even when he does, Billy won't tell him anything. Let me ask you, and this is a real, uh, as you would call me, a real city slicker uh, question. Um, but if you had a bale of hay dropped on you, is, would that would that do much damage? How heavy are these bales of hay? I'm not sure. I assume probably heavy enough they'd like give you a concussion. Maybe if they hit your neck right, you're going to snap it. Okay. Because because he sort of acted like it was going to kill him. And the one that I saw fall down, I was like, I don't know. But I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these things are much heavier than it seems. They certainly didn't give it any weight when it fell, so it didn't feel very threatening. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay because Billy still gets to look at him and be like, oh, I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole, the whole thing leads up to the middle of the night. Paula gets up and she's uh, like she was compelled up to the ridge earlier. She's now compelled out to the barn. And we see more like visions of the ghost horse and rings of fire. And uh, that's all happening out there. And um, Rhodes is like, something's definitely going on here. We keep seeing the same visions over and over and over again. <laughs> and what I like too, he's walking by. He happens to notice that Glenn's Jeep is parked outside, but Glenn's not around. So he pulls the old farmhead Hanson aside and Hanson's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Glenn just comes by and hangs out in my bedroom sometimes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Pardon me? <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah, it's just, he's just like, yeah, yeah. Glenn just drops by and hangs out in my bedroom. We chat sometimes. It's just like, what? Okay. In the middle of the night? I guess so. Sure. I mean, you can do whatever you want. but It's lonely out in the ranch. Anyway, this night just keeps going on. Paula like goes back to sleep. To only have dreams about getting buried. She says under mud, but it looks like boulders are following on top of her. It's it's a weird sequence where like she's like screaming and things are falling on her. Okay, so we do see this image. And what we're going to find out later, as it said from the synopsis, there's, there's a girl that's missing. And obviously she's in the tree. That's why there's concrete there. Does that jive with the image we're getting here of this? Like, because I was like, oh, she's buried then in a ground. This was like her buried alive. But that's not what happened. 
Unless I, I guess you're buried alive in the tree, but that's not the image that we see. We see essentially like soil or rocks being thrown on someone. I went back and pulled that clip for our social media. So I got to rewatch mm. it. Um, Cause the first time you see it, I also was just like boulders are falling on her. So she's like trapped in a cave or something. Like that's kind of what I thought mm. rewatching it. It's just badly shot. It is actually cement falling on her from a very low oh, okay. angle. And you can kind of make out that she's in a tree, but just the way it's shot is so is is not it's not well executed. So it doesn't make sense what you're seeing. So it doesn't jive with what she says was happening. But I think the intention was it was supposed to look like cement falling on her. It just doesn't look like that at all. Yeah. Also, cement on a tree is has anyone ever been hidden in a tree? Like, is that a good place to hide a dead body in a, in a hollow tree and then cover it with cement? I mean, here's the thing is you do on some trees use cement to shore them up like that is not uncommon on certain kinds of trees. I mean, it's a little weird. This one's in the middle of nowhere in this ranch. So it's a little odd that has happened here. So I I, like I just think that like someone knew something about a certain kind of tree and like how you would shore it up. But like none of that's Mm. explained. So it's never like seems to the layman audience. It's just like that's really weird. Like it all just seems like, huh, what? And it felt well, like th- well, that's me. There were I don't know anything about. I, I don't know anything about shoring up trees or anything like that. So it just I was like, if I just found a tree in the middle of the forest that had concrete over one side, I'd be like, well, there's something buried in here. Like that'd be my first assumption, and it, that's why it was odd to me that they all sort of treated it so nonchalantly. It's just like, oh, that's that's nothing. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that's the thing. It's like, well, that's a common thing. So thus, why would they respond to it weirdly? I mean, I know ginkgo trees often, because they get quite old, and I think people will cement up the, like, will put cement in the trunk of it, because the trunks hollow out to keep them, like, standing so they can, like, stay, like, they can keep, like, functionally, Hmm. like, structurally sound. I don't know all the reasons for it, but, like, I've seen it before. Um, So I just, yeah, and, like, I think that's the thing, is, like, they needed someone to explain why a tree would have cement in it, and then maybe have a few more trays of cement in it, just so it, like, make it look normal. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, just have a line of dialogue where the guy's like, he's like, where are you going there with that bucket of cement? He's like, I'm going to shore up some trees. I'm like, ah, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, you're right. Because none of that said, it just, it's just like a, it's like the soreness thumb sticking. It's like the tree. Go look at the tree. It's got a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but after this vision of being covered in cement, uh, Dr. Rhodes goes outside. He, uh, he sees that uh, Glenn's Jeep is still there. He's still up in that bedroom having a conversation, apparently. But it's also <laughs> filled, filled with buckets of cement. So he's just like, I guess I should go back and finally look at that tree. And so he heads back to the old cement tree. And when he gets there, that new farmhand, Billy's there. He, and he costs roads. And um, Billy explains that he used to work at a rodeo with a girl who went missing. And Billy and this girl were pretty tight. He taught her and her horse how to do this ring of fire trick, explaining why there's a ring of fire in the visions. And he's just, Billy's just like, I know you were involved because you found that skull head out here. And that skull head had the same fillings in its teeth from when i did horse dentistry on that horse at the rodeo and i was just like horse dentistry there's fillings in the horse's teeth that's how you i well how long ago did this crime happen (laughs) well it's it's, there's a couple of things like yes it's it was apparently so long ago that this all the skin and all the uh uh, um it's uh, an uh, aged horse skull now (laughs) exactly so it's just the skeleton has remained it's been there that long but they needed a way for him to be able to recognize this from just any ordinary skull that you may come across, if that's something you come across. Um, so they're like, oh, well, he did 
work on his teeth. It's it's this point where the episode they have to explain everyone's motivations and why they've acted the way they have, but it doesn't. It just doesn't work with what we've seen before. So they're like, oh, Billy was suspicious because he thought maybe Michael abducted this girl that he was having a relationship with. I'm like, what? But Michael just showed up, and you just you know he showed up the day he showed up. How would he have been involved? And then he's shown up and he's looking for stuff and you think that he's what covering his tracks from apparently a thousand years ago when he uh the, the skeleton was was left like it just it doesn't make any sense and then we're gonna find out the motivation for old glenn later you're like what like it, it it's just it feels like they got to this end and they're like oh i don't know stuff happens well yeah so billy suspects rose he's holding that knife point and he tells rose he's like he's gonna get the truth from him using his gods i was like part part of me billy has his own set of gods well there's what it is is it's a little bit it's like we don't need to get into all the details but like he's he's indigenous of some is he uh, type yes and so there now is the actor i don't know did they say Um, that at any point like they just said he worked at a rodeo no that that's that's the implication and so there because they're that the way he talks about it he's like and my elders they told me this thing and i didn't and i left by my people and i came here to the ranch and blah 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 and he's like and i didn't care about it but now it's like it's clear they were right and i was like hey like i'm not disagreeing with you but like well, how how is it clear they're right it had nothing to do with anything it was just this thing to be like oh he's also an indigenous person yeah it came out of nowhere and i like he a wasn't and B, at no point did they even imply he was. Like, he just worked at a rodeo. And I'm just like, so, yeah, the whole thing was I'm just like, do rodeo people have their own special rodeo gods? I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Because immediately after he tells this to Rhodes, Glenn pulls up in his Jeep and shoots Billy. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, he shoots, again, this whole last act. He he comes, he shoots Billy. And he basically, at the one point, he says, because uh, Michael's like, well, you just shot him. You you clearly are the guilty person here. He's like, no, no, no. People are going to think you showed up and Billy tried attacking you for getting rid of this girl, Nadine, who he thinks is missing. You guys get in a fight. You shoot him and then he stabbed you. And so you killed each other. So thus, I'm fine to marry Paula and take over the ranch. Yeah, I mean, he does lay out a plan, which is a little too complicated in that, like, I'm going to now pick up Billy's knife, stab you to death. And then I'm going to say I showed up just as he was doing that and killed him trying to save you. Like, he's like, this this is how I'm going to cover it up. It's so insane that he, like, I'm just like, you should have just let Billy kill Rhodes and then problems solved. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. But but he makes he makes an extra, extra mistake now because he has a gun on... Uh... Do you want to do you want to talk about why he killed the girl? Oh, because he wasn't he was having a relationship with her, right? Yes, yes. They were they were having a relationship and the the girl wanted to get married. She wanted to be an honest woman. But yes, as you said, Glenn had his sights set on marrying Paula so he could take over the neighboring ranch. It's a real like uh, real ranch story going on. here. Yeah, it's just I guess it all makes sense. It just doesn't quite work in terms of the amount of the amount of work we've taken to get here and i know we've gone through it real quickly but like i'm like oh he just he wanted the ranch this was like a land deal Uh, okay sure yes but as you were gonna say Rhodes then like gives the laziest kick to kick the gun out of his hand it's like the slowest like biggest kick you've ever seen well and it's, it's because um old glenn is like i need to uh have you have the knife 
blah 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 and then uh michael like knocks the knife out of his hand instead of just like killing michael and then looking for the knife he's like let me look for the knife right now and that allows michael to give him yes this like haphazard kick and uh we spend the next 10 minutes watching glenn get drive his jeep back and forth as he tries to run over roads they just like drive back and forth like three times and Rhodes is always just like running in the, the headlights of this car like oh don't hit me don't hit me <laughs> yeah and then at one point even like he gets up on the side of a cl- kind of a, a cliff face and jumps it's like oh is that the end fight like no he just falls off and they they continue but eventually the ghost girl emerges from the cemented in tree scares glenn causing him to crash his car into the tree and ha- her skeleton which is also rotted to bones flops out and uh Rhodes is just like well i solved the case <laughs> He's like, I did very little. Case case closed. Case closed. I mean, we cut to the next day. They announced to the viewer, in case they were worrying, that the boy Billy didn't die from his gunshot wound and he's doing just fine. I'm like, didn't care, but okie dokie. Yeah. And then Anson's like, you should come back to the ranch next summer. And he's like, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Well, what I liked is they leave and then Paula turns around and one of the horses looks at Paula and starts nodding its head like, good job, you solved the murder of that white horse. And I'm like, was that what this is about? The murder of that white horse and the other horses being upset about it? <laughs> I didn't catch that, but I like that. It's like the final shot. It's like a long shot of this horse nodding its head up and down. And then Paula looking at it being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's another episode. What is up with the 70s and ranches, Jordan. Is it just that they had so many westerns going on that you had to write a ranch episode because you had, like, the standing set? Or was there a fascination with ranches in the 70s? Was that, like, a thing the city people wanted to do? I think it's the same fascination uh, the 70s also had with race car drivers. Yeah, it seems like a real consistent thing where it's just, like, if you're going to do a TV show, you got to go to a ranch. Even if there's, like, it's the... You have to, it's, there's no reason it barely works, but you're like, you're going to a ranch at some point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think you're, you're probably right. There's just like, I don't know. There's certain things people expect. This was not, this was not the best example of like a mystery you could have set on a ranch. Yeah, I know. I mean, this one definitely felt like we've got a ranch, write anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Jordan, do you have any final notes or should we get into final ratings? Let's rate these. All right, Jordan, how do you feel about Witch Witch Burning Bright? I, I think this a benefit in my ranking, at least for me, because I watched it first. Um, and I watched these, not back to back, but I watched them day after day. And uh, so it's it's all fine. Like I find about the show, like I feel like I'm crapping on it. It's not even that bad a show. It's just, it's not particularly good either. It's like, for me, it ends up being like a forgettable show. Like, Next year, I'm not going to remember this show. You'll be like, remember Dr. Michael? I'll be like, absolutely not. Um, it just feels like a procedural show where there's no procedure, like a, 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 a spooky show where there's no spooks and like uh, a dramatic show where there's no drama. So and it's it's just fine. Everything's fine. It all works well enough, I guess. I'm going to give it a five out of 10 because I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's just like, it's fine, I guess. I don't mind. I did like this episode. I, I liked the witch stuff. I liked that it wasn't just like um, in past episodes. It's always like a person needs to be saved or something along those lines. Um, this one had a bit more of a ghost story to it. Like the I liked that there was a grudge from three hundred years ago. The courtroom. But isn't stuff, that every witch story? Isn't every witch story but a grudge? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, is it? 
I enjoyed it. I liked the episode, and I, like I liked the courtroom stuff. Like I thought that was a lot of fun. I mean, it, I could have done with more of it. That was fun. I liked the guest stars. They were fun guest stars. I loved watching Cloris Leachman do that weird ritual in the forest. <laughs> like there's a lot yeah. of fun stuff. It's obviously not a great episode. There's, it's there's problems. It's a bit of a mess. That, still, that shot where that old man gets thrown through a glass shower door. Great shot. I loved it. Um, I know six point five. I think. Hmm. I'll say this. I think of the two episodes, I think this one was directed much better. I did notice, like, I think there's some limitations with what you can do as a TV director, but there was a little bit of flair in this episode, more so than in the next one. Well, let's get into it then. Echo of a Distant Scream, Jordan. I don't know. I'm giving this a 3 to 10. I just was like, what is this? What is this episode? There's a horse. It's not doing anything. They go to the ridge about 45 times. He just keeps seeing the same vision. And there's a tree with concrete. I don't know. Three three billies out of ten. Three billies out of ten. Yeah, the second episode that we watched is uh, considerably worse. It's just there's nothing here. I, as I did my notes on it, and um, like I, I just have a little notebook I, I, I write in, and like I did three pages of notes for a 50-minute episode because nothing happens in this episode. Like it's sort of just like, spins its wheels a lot waiting and waiting and waiting to get going it's not to say that it's like nothing happens but it just like it takes so long and like there's really nothing to report it's just like people yell at Rhodes Rhodes doesn't leave Rhodes looks around it, it is it is an episode that you can feel is like they had half an idea and they had a ranch um and you yeah. can tell you can tell uh so I'm gonna go two now we're pretty close on both those yeah I think one was considerably better than the other I would agree well, Jordan, that about wraps it up, I guess, for this this episode of The Sixth Sense. Um, but if you want more Sixth Sense, if you want us to go back and watch that Richard Donner episode, let's see what Richard Donner was up to. There's a there's yeah. an opportunity with bonus episodes for charity. What we're doing is you can you can pick a episode from a series that we've watched, but we've skipped that episode, whether it's because we're doing a best of run like we're doing here with The Sixth Sense, where we're only watching the top three episodes of each season. So we're leaving tons of episodes behind from season one. We, we're finishing season one right now. We're not going to watch any more season one episodes. Or if we do like an escape pod on an episode, as we sometimes do, where we just like ratings fall too low, we got to get out of there. We miss a bunch at the end. So this is an opportunity for the listener to be like, hey, I want to make a donation to charity. We've got a list of charities on our website, all picked by past guests. You pick one of those charities, do a donation. You let us know which episode you want us to watch, and we'll go back and do a bonus episode for you. All the details that explain this far more clearly are on the website. It's continuumdrag.podbean.com. Or, of course, send us an email here at continuumdrag at gmail.com. We can give you more information as well that way. Um, but other than that, we've got social media to go to. You're going to see a ghost horse. You're going to see a ghost girl. You're going to see a ghost witch. Uh, you're going to see all kinds of ghosts. Yeah. You've got um, Rhodes picking his mail using uh, psychic powers. <laughs> That's right. I, lo- I, I, like, I like your idea, though, that he's just going through bills. He's like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Ah, there's a case. Yes. Don't know. I can't open this one. I can't pay this one this week. Uh, yeah, you can find that on our social media. It's Twitter. It's Instagram. It's Facebook. It's at Continuum Regs, the handle. That's how you get there. But that wraps up for this episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes.